Welcome to Wednesday night. It's good to have you here. It's good to take this middle of the week and, and uh, have some time to, to pray, to fellowship together, and to go to the Lord in prayer. In our study in Acts, we're in Acts chapter 10. We'll be looking at 10 and 11. And we see the outline of Acts where the gospel is going out to the world. It starts with the Jews in Jerusalem and it branches out from there to Samaria and then from Samaria we see now the first part of it going out to the rest of the world. There's two divisions that are clear uh, in the gospel, a division of people, Jew and Gentile. Jew was one person born under the nation of Israel and the Gentile was someone who wasn't born under the nation of Israel. So everybody else was considered a Gentile. The Jews knew that God had began things with their, their nation, with their family. Abraham was the father uh, of, of, of that nation. And uh, God used him. He called him. Genesis 12 brings that out. And God was doing a special thing in the world through his people, the Jews. The problem is, and it's easy to see how this would happen, is they began to think of themselves as special instead of speaking, thinking of God as special, as the one who selected them. They began to think of things centered in them instead of thinking, thinking of things centered in God. We now can look at the Old Testament and we can see that it's always God's design, always has been God's design, to bring salvation to the world, to save eternally souls of all mankind from every tongue, from every nation, from every people group. That's always been his design. It's just that he was going to start and bring his Savior through a particular people. He had to bring them through one particular uh, nation. And so he chose this one to bring his Savior through, and that is Israel. So what we see in Acts is God's, uh, um, God's purpose in reaching the whole world and how he's doing that. And he starts again, uh, just like the Old Testament, he starts focusing on the nation of Israel and the people there, but he doesn't stop there. He spreads throughout the whole world. We're here today in America, specifically in Milwaukee here, thanking God because uh, I don't think any of us today right in this group are Jews or have been, go, have been born into the nation of Israel. But God has allowed his powerful gospel to reach out to us and for us to be included in it and for us to be saved. For that reason, then, we are a special people chosen by God. Let's look briefly how God began to take his gospel out and spread it out to others. What we see in this is that God has a very, he has a big plan and a generous, gracious heart, a gracious nat uh, nature to go beyond um, what one would think would be his special group of people and expand that to a new special group of people. So in Acts chapter 10, we see this happening. Um, Chapter 10, it says, At Caesarea, 
there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So it tells us a little bit about this man named Cornelius. Now it tells us that he's part of the Italian cohort. He is not a Jew. He is not from the nation of Israel. And yet he is a good man. It says a devout man, one who is, is, is trying to walk in ways that are pleasing to God. It says one who feared God with all his household. And so God begins to reach out to this man. Now some would ask, can you have a fear of God outside of, of trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior? The answer to that is no. Not completely, but look what God does in this life. He in this man's life, he connects that man. It's God who's been leading this man, and he begins to speak to this man to show him how he must honor God. So what happens? This man has uh, has an encounter. It says in verse three about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging, lodging with Simon a, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And so this God decides to speak to Cornelius through an angel. This whole interaction is very interesting. You, you've probably read this before. I'm just going to briefly go over. God speaks to Cornelius through an angel. He then at the same time, Cornelius does not know Peter. Peter does not know Cornelius. They're in two separate cities, don't know each other, but God speaks to Cornelius through an angel. God begins to speak to Peter, but in a very uh, strange way. Peter um, is praying. He's hungry. He gets into a trance or a deep sleep, and he sees a vision, all right? He sees a vision. What he sees in his vision is a sheet that, that's there, and on this sheet is all types of animals that, well, animals that could be used for food, but animals in which Israel are forbidden to eat, all right? So as an Israelite, he sees this, and, and there's a command that comes to say, Peter, take these animals, kill them, make food out of them, prepare yourself a meal. And Peter says, oh, no, no, that's forbidden. I cannot do that. And, and let's look at the response that he has. Verse 13, there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. But to recognize, Peter understands where the command is coming from. He responds, no, Lord. In other words, Lord, this is completely strange. This is foreign to me. I don't understand what you're asking me to do. And he says, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So it's kind of confusing what's going on, right? At least in Peter's mind. But look at the next part, verse 15. A voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So 
this, this voice comes to Peter from God saying, what I call clean, don't you call uncommon. Peter has no idea what to do with all this. But this vision is given to him, and that's it. That's it. Now, when he wakes up, verse 17, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius have made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. So Cornelius had sent some, a group of three men to go and to find Peter because God had told him um, that he should go and seek out this one Peter and this Peter was going to tell him what he needed to do. So it's very interesting that God chose this way to connect these men and to talk to these men. One way very clear to Cornelius, but not specific. He said, go and get Peter. And he talks to Peter and says, gives him a vision that he doesn't understand. But what happens? As, as he is, is perplexed about this vision, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. The verse 19. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise go, and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now, I kind of wondered in my mind, why didn't the Holy Spirit just tell them, Look, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to Cornelius' house, and I want you to give him the gospel. Right? And I don't care if he's a, a Gentile or not, I want you to give him the gospel. That's basically what God is going to instruct him, but he does it in kind of a roundabout way. What am I to get from that? He tells Cornelius, look, you need to find somebody to tell you the truth. And that's somebody I found for you. His name is Peter. He's over in the next town over. Send somebody to go get him. So he tells Cornelius, go find somebody. He tells Peter, Peter doesn't know what he's saying, except go with these guys because... That's what I'm telling you to do. Part of this simple um, illustration is we need to simply obey God step by step and just do what he tells us to do. We don't always understand. We think it could have been done some way different or simply. When we know it's God who's speaking, we need to simply obey. Peter understood it's the Lord giving him vision. He doesn't know what it means. God doesn't tell him what it means until he gets to that moment. So let's see what happens. <clears throat> Verse 21. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? So he doesn't know. I say this because some people say God spoke to me and they act like they know everything. They don't. Neither do you and neither do I. Some people come to me, aren't you a preacher? Don't you know? Look, I'm human just like you. In other words, I have to listen to and trust God for what he gives me, which ain't everything. And you got to listen and trust God for what he gives you, which ain't everything. And as he puts us together, we get a clear picture of what it is he wants to do. He knows what he's doing. And he's using different components and different pieces to do that. A similar thing happened with, with, um, with Paul, right? God struck him with blindness. He could have just spoken a vision. Look, Paul, you need to trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
<laughs> he didn't do it that way. He said, I'm going to spend, I'm going to send Ananias over here. And Ananias like, whoa, 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 I don't want to go there, right? But God says, look, do what I said. And he does it. And, 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 and Paul gets the message. One of the things, let me just wrap up. I don't have a lot of time. One of the things this shows us is that God works to speak, but he does that through his word, yes, through the Holy Spirit, yes, through his people, yes. Why he does it that way, I don't know. Sometimes I wish he would just scratch his people out and just come straight with it, right? <laughs> just speak right to us. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul once was, was, had an elevated, basically a conceited view of himself because God spoke directly to him. And God says, you know, I've got to tone you down a little bit because you're going to start thinking you're something because I'm speaking directly to you. So God is using his people and interacting with his people. But, but here's the application I want you to make. God is in a point of saving lives, and he does that through people. How dare you close your mouth when God tells you to talk? When he connects you and has a point for you and has someone he wants you to speak to, you need to obey God in that. You don't know who you're talking to. You don't know why he brought you to this moment. You don't understand it all. But then you're just like Peter. And you're just like Cornelius. So what? You don't have to understand it all. Begin to obey and do what God said. We walk by faith, not by sight. No one in this scenario does God explain the whole picture to. But as they work together, something miraculously happens. Salvation comes to Cornelius' whole household, and they are saved, and the gospel has reached a new frontier. Praise God. Nobody knew all what was going on, but God was orchestrating the gospel reaching out to more and more people. You don't know why God is changing your job. You don't know why God took you from this job, left you for three months or whatever time it was without a job. You don't know why God does what he does, and you and I may never figure it out. But we know God is good. We know God is gracious, and God wants to use us to communicate his truth in some way. We're simply going to, let me say it this way, I'm just going to be dumb and obey God. All right? I'm just simply going to do what God tells me to do and walk in obedience to him. Brian, would you come lead us in our meditation time? Continue in our meditation in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28. I'm going to talk like smooth jazz here. Ezekiel 28. All right. Can you hear me now? Okay. I was perplexed for a little bit there. Okay. Passages or subjects that he prophesies about I want you to look at him tell me who he is talking about in chapter 28 of Ezekiel 
scripture says this. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of the gods and in the heart of the seas. Yet you are but a man and no God. Though you make your heart like the heart of a God, you are indeed wiser than Daniel. No secret is hidden from you. By your wisdom and your understanding, you have made wealth for yourself and have gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and your trade, you have increased your wealth, and your heart has become proud in your wealth. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you make your heart like the heart of a God. Therefore, behold, I will bring foreigners upon you, the most ruthless of the nations. And they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall thrust you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God, in the presence of those who kill you, though you are but a man and no God, in the hands of those who slay you? You shall die the death of the uncircumcised by the hands of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the Lord God. That's subject one. Subject two. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed guardian cherub. I place you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profane your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst, and it consumed you. I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. arrogant what did he think of himself thought he was a god but what was he he was just a man but he thought he was a god why did he think cast down the who will he cast down and he will lift up the humble lift it up he will put down so this man was very proud and my one thing about prophecy that's really cool is when you look at it, even though itself is talking about a subject, you can kind of see reflections of other things, right? So it's almost like when you look into a pool, you do see water, right? But that water reflects and you can see other things too. So you can see the water and you can see other things. And that's what prophecy does. Prophecy, it speaks to a subject, but sometimes the depth of it, it speaks to bigger things than just the subject it was talking about, right? So he's talking about the Prince of Tyre, 
But isn't he also talking about the modern man who's so proud of science that he thinks that he's God? He doesn't need God. There's books called the God delusion. There's books of people write that they killed God, right? One of the biggest things in fantasy now is when you get to the end, you actually have to defeat God because God was a subject of evil. The modern man is starting to think that he's God. The modern scientist thinks he's God. He thinks nothing is kept from him. He can do anything. He can change his sex. He can change his gender. He can do whatever he wants. Who knows? Maybe he can figure out ways to live forever. Is he not trying to grab from the tree of good and evil and eat from the tree of life? But then who's the king of Tyre? Yeah, I, listen, so let me just say this. I don't know that it's necessarily Satan, but if it's not Satan, it's a very powerful demon, right? Right? And, and I would guess Satan too. I just want to be clear that I don't know that 100%. So I'm thinking, when I read passages like that, I just kept on thinking, doesn't this sound a lot like Isaiah 14 to you? And we often use that passage to describe Satan. And it talks a lot about things that, don't make any sense unless it's talking about that, right? And you look at it like, man, this is what Satan was like. But then you think about it, this is what the Antichrist is like. This is what evil is like. One book I was reading, it said, if you ever see the face of evil, it will be beautiful. Why do you think that is? That Jesus was beautiful? My guess is that he probably was not. Because, as we said before, God lifts up the humble, but he casts down the proud. But Satan, he appeals through the visual appeal. He will bring, if we see the Antichrist, he's going to be the most beautiful man that we ever seen. Right? Yeah. Isaiah said that. When you look at Jesus, he lived to die. Who wants to do that? But who doesn't want to be a rock star, right? It says in Revelations, Babylon the Great. And what you get from Babylon the Great is Babylon the Great got money. Babylon the Great has a powerful, can sleep with whoever they want to. Babylon the Great believes whatever they want. And Babylon the Great is violent, drinks the blood of saints. And that's the kind of culture that sin creates. Sin starts off with a beautiful appeal. It has a beautiful face. But what it does is incredibly disgusting. With the children in the room, I really can't describe all the things Babylon did in Revelations. I really can't. You really need to read Revelations 18, 19. Because some of the stuff that happened, it's actually, if you read it, really read it, it's pretty it's pretty visual. It's pretty disgusting. But the reason it's described like that is to make us think, really, if you think about it, these are our cultural icons, right? That's Michael Jackson. That's James Brown. That's Elvis Presley. These are the people who we, oh, man, how talented was he? People worship him. They throw their underwear at this person. 
They'll do anything for this person. Michael Jackson was a pedophile. James Brown was a white beater. Elvis Presley was a druggie. Don't see that part. We just see the appeal, right? And thousands follow these people blindly. And that's what evil looks like. So I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily got a whole, a really centralized point on this, but to say Ezekiel 28 tells us about the nature of evil, doesn't it? And the appeal of sin. Something different when you study through something to teach or when you just read it. And uh, studying from the disciples. But what I want to concentrate on this evening is you know the story of the transfiguration. Peter took, I mean, the Lord took. Peter, James, and John, the inner circle of the disciples, up on the mountain, he was transfigured. And the word transfigured is like the word that we get the word metamorphosis from. So it's a picture of like, in, in our understanding, it's a picture of like a caterpillar turned into a beautiful, famous he, as he is for putting his foot in his mouth. And he sees uh, Elijah and Moses, and he wants to build, he's so dumbfounded, he wants to build three booths or tabernacles for the three. And then there's one verse that says, it says, verse 6, for they did not, Peter 7, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were all terrified. So you know when you get scared, you might just say anything. And you might want to just do anything. So this is Peter. Well, they didn't know how to do it. They were terrified. But here's what happened. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And the thought came to me. It occurred to me that we listen to everybody. We got, just like Brian was talking about, the icons in our life. They tell me that the beef industry sued Oprah one time for telling people not to eat beef. This is how much her, you know, influence she had. Steve Harvey, Dr. Phil, we listen to everybody. And they tell us things that we believe is the gospel or people take as the gospel. And here we have God the Father himself saying to us, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And then this, this verse right here says something to me. Verse 8 says, And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. That's all we need. <laughs> we don't need to listen to anybody else. God the Father uh, spoke it twice. Uh, and the disciples still missed the point. If you look further in here, you'll see the disciples while Jesus is telling them, hey, we're going up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be murdered. And they're saying, they're over there arguing about who's going to be the greatest. So uh, I just want to pray tonight. I was just thinking about how faithful God is to us and how fickle we can be sometimes. Just thinking about what God has done for us, forgetting. Just like the disciples. The disciples were arguing over a loaf of bread when Jesus had just fed 9,000 people 
4,000 and 5,000 on two different occasions. They forgot that much. So I guess the whole point is I don't want us to forget about who Jesus is in our, in our turmoil, in our lives, because, you know, um, I always talk to Macnam about how you doing, and I always talk to Dwayne about sometimes I don't even know my name. It's, that's how tired I am <laughs> from working, and I'm not the only one. Believe me, I'm not saying that. So I just want to pause tonight and thank God for how faithful he is to us when we are doing, wanting to do things on our own. When God is all we need. They saw Jesus only. That's all we need. 80, two, what? 280, 300. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Devin's going to be okay. <laughs> mama, mama might not be, but Devin's going to be all right. We're going to pray for Devin. We're going to pray for Devin. He's he going to be fine. We're going to pray for you. Lord, uh, you've heard the request tonight. Lord, I want to just uh, offer up Devin, Valerie's son, Lord, that that you will protect what up request tonight. And for those who may not have, I thank you so much for this ministry. I want to offer up a prayer for uh, the Kenners, Bob and Mardine, uh, Lord, that you will strengthen and keep them, uh, that you're... Normally, I would ask for prayer requests, but we kind of did that part already. So, what we're going to do is something interesting. We are going to... Who all had a prayer request? Raise your hand. I can see who had a prayer request. I heard more people than whose hands are raised. You want to raise your hand? You think I'm going to have you do something? I'm not going to have you do nothing. All right, who didn't have a prayer request? Raise your hand. Didn't have one this week. All right, so what I would like for us to do, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the news, we have had a rash of violent acts that have happened in a very short period of time. One of the ones that concerned me actually happened like maybe five or six blocks from our house. As, no, actually, I can back that up. Yesterday, we were sitting, I think Charmone was upstairs, I was downstairs, and our neighbors decided they were going to have a uh, shootout with each other. I don't know what that was about. We've had some really strange people coming over that way, and every day we come home, there have been stranger people outside, and they've been pretty quiet for the most part. But, like, yesterday morning, they were outside shooting at each other. Yesterday evening, they decided to continue that fun. And I'm just like, what is going on? But as I'm looking at that, and I was looking at the news that night, and I don't normally watch the news anymore because the news is nothing but somebody got killed, somebody's car got stolen, somebody got killed while their car was getting stolen, somebody got killed by a stolen car, that's the kind of stuff you see on the news, right? So I don't watch it. It's depressing. But it highlights the, the community's need for salvation. When you look at that and you say, man, these people are perishing quickly. Like, I don't imagine somebody walked out of their house yesterday and thought, I'm not going to go back. So it makes you pause and reflect, what can we be doing, right? So I would like for us to pray about what we can be doing and then what actions we as individuals can take. I know we talked about corporately as a church doing witnessing, but what kind of witnessing can we do as individuals? I was having a conversation with someone at work today, and I mentioned something about, yeah, I was talking to this person, and I was telling them not to do this certain act because they're a felon. If you do that, you're going back to jail. They said, you know felons? I'm like, yeah, I talk to all people. Like, a person's position in life does not neglect that they need salvation. 
I'm going to tell the person who's a felon that they need salvation, just like I'm going to tell the person who's not a felon that they need salvation, because everybody who does know the Lord, we're all going to end up the same way, right? If we don't know God, the eternal damnation is what is waiting for you. So it doesn't matter what your economic background is, what your social background is. Everybody comes to the same place, the seat of judgment. So all this stuff is going on around the city and all the people who are hopelessly lost. And most of it are uh, the youth, right? If you look at it, a lot of the crimes are being perpetrated by people who are between the ages of, well, now 12 to 17. I remember when I was 12, I was afraid of getting a whooping if I came in and the street light was off. People out here taking cars. I was reading a story on my way here, a 14-year-old um, snatched a lady's keys from her and attempted to take her car. They couldn't get the car started because they obviously they didn't know how to drive the car, but they snatched the keys from her, tried to get the car started. It was push button start. They couldn't get it started, so they left the car. And I was just like, man, the wickedness is running rampant. So before we leave, if we could pray for how we can impact our community and our city individually and collectively. That is what I would like to see us do. If you can keep your prayer focused on that for tonight, I would greatly appreciate that. So we can partner up and let's pray about our impact in our community and um, our community individually and collectively as far as getting the gospel to the people who are perishing before us.